Hello and welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters podcast with me, Nigel Palmer. On this week's action-packed Wildlife Matters podcast, we are going to be lifting the lid on the illegal and legal traps that are used all over the UK, primarily by gamekeepers in large estates and on land, but specifically on the grouse moors. And they're used to kill our native wildlife to protect the grouse that they will then go and shoot. And in this week's Wildlife Matters Investigates, we're going to be asking the question, are we, that's you and me, the UK taxpayers, subsidising wildlife persecution in the UK? Yeah, that's a real thing. Our government are giving money to landowners that should be for farming subsidies and to improve the land for wildlife and nature biodiversity. Some people are taking that money and using it on their grouse shooting estates, which are anything but looking after nature and our environment. So that's coming up on Wildlife Matters Investigates. And we will have our regular features with Mindful Moments. And on what is British Hedgehog Week, we are going to be looking at that in this week's Nature News that is coming up next. And on this week's Wildlife Matters Nature News, we're celebrating Hedgehog Week. So Wildlife Matters has been working to help save and protect hedgehogs in local communities for over 10 years now. And in that time, we've learned a lot about the humble hog and realised that the way we live our lives in today's busy world is putting hedgehogs at a very serious risk of extinction. This week is Hedgehog Awareness Week. It's a time to celebrate these fabulous spiky mammals, but also a time to reflect on the perilous fragility of their existence and look at ways that we can all do something in our own gardens and local green spaces to help the hedgehog. Did you know that fossils suggest that hedgehog-like creatures have been on this planet for around 15 million years. That is so much longer than humans have been here. And the importance of this protecting this species has never been more apparent, and for a number of reasons. You see, hedgehog numbers have decreased by 30% in urban areas since the year 2000, and 50% in rural areas. Hedgehogs eat a wide variety of food and use several different habitats. They're known as a generalist species. Because of this, the state of our hedgehog populations tells us a lot about the health of our general environment. And a third reason is by protecting hedgehogs, we protect a host of other wildlife too, from birds and insects to reptiles and other mammals. So what do hedgehogs need? Well, their needs are very similar to ours. Firstly, everything on this earth needs water and food. And despite their small size, hedgehogs have a ferocious appetite and can eat up to a hundred invertebrates in a single night. In search of grubs such as beetles and worms, 
they use their keen sense of smell to rustle through the leaves to find them. Unfortunately, intensive agriculture, the use of pesticides, including Roundup and other weed killers in our gardens, and the tidying up of our gardens, parks and green spaces is leaving less and less food for hedgehogs. Planting flowers in our garden will attract the buffet of invertebrates that hedgehogs need, while the burst of colour is a treat for us too. Putting some meat-based pet food or special hedgehog food in a dish in your garden as a supplementary food will also give every individual hedgehog a helping hand. If you're curious, why not invest in a camera trap? Place it approximately three metres from the food and hear and see what noisy and entertaining little creatures hedgehogs can be. Putting out a shallow dish of water is essential. It would help quench their thirst on their long nightly forays, particularly during the warm and hot summer evenings. If you fancy a fun project, then why not create yourself a small pond? Even a small pond the size of a dustbin lid would do wonders for wildlife but it is important to always include a ramp in any pond. Making one from stones or wood with a wire mesh could help save a lot of hedgehogs. <laughs> they can swim, but not forever. Of course, just like us, hedgehogs need shelter. After an evening of foraging, hedgehogs will need somewhere to rest. Hedgehogs will make three types of nests. Daytime nests are used during the summer Breeding nests are built by adult females to raise their young, and this is usually between May and July, whilst hibernation nests, also known as hibernaculum, are used over the winter when food is lower. Hedgehog nests are often built under hedgerows or at the base of trees. They're made from dead leaves, long grass, brambles and logs, or anything they can find around your garden that's dry. Currently, though, in the UK, we are losing up to 8,000 miles of hedgerow every single year. One of the best ways to provide extra shelter for the species is to leave a bit of your garden wild, such as a small log pile, dead leaves and uncut grass, which provides a bonus food resource. Alternatively, you can buy or make a hedgehog box. There's a huge variety of boxes you can buy, or better still, make one yourself. They will all encourage hedgehogs to rest, hibernate, and maybe even raise hoglets in your garden. There's plenty of advice on hedgehog homes available on the internet, including some very clever ideas on how to keep cats out of the box too. Hedgehog highways. Well, hedgehogs may have little legs, but they can roam for up to two kilometers in a single night in search of food and even further in search of a mate. So even if our gardens are wildlife wonderlands, they are of no help to hedgehogs if they cannot find their way inside. The best way you can help is by teaming up with your neighbors and putting a small, approximately five inch or 125 millimeter hole in your fence panel to connect your gardens and give your hedgehogs plenty of space to forage and roam. Loss of hedgerows and the use of pesticides are just a few of the myriad of threats that hedgehogs are up against. There are some extra actions we can take in our everyday lives that would help these wonderful little hogs survive. 
For example, hedgehogs may eat slug pellets and this may kill them. So please leave the pellets on the shop shelves and let hedgehogs be the slug removers instead. On their wanderings at night, hedgehogs can become tangled in vegetable or football nets and they can find it difficult, if not impossible, to get out again. They may well tire themselves out, injure themselves and even possibly die. So please roll up the football nets at the end of the game and raise your vegetable nets about a meter off the ground overnight. Remember, it's for the benefit of the wonderful hedgehogs. Hedgehogs tend to freeze when they're approached and they roll into a prickly defensive ball. Whilst this may protect them from their natural predators, it is not so effective against cars. It's been estimated that 100,000 hedgehogs are killed every year on the UK roads. Another thing that really is a danger to hedgehogs is strimming. This time of year when you go out and the grass is a bit long, don't just plunge your strimmer straight into a lot of grass. When you're cutting the grass, please remember to check the area for hedgehogs first. And finally, if you have some spare time, you can survey your local area for hedgehogs. Now, how exciting is that? That is real citizen science. To get involved, simply contact Grace the Hedgehog, who lives at the amazing Harper Asprey Wildlife Rescue Centre in Surrey, to find out more on how you can become a volunteer surveyor for them, please visit their website, which is www.gracethehedgehog.co.uk. That's www.gracethehedgehog.co.uk. And if you do do that surveying, have fun, enjoy it, and know that you are helping hedgehogs in your local area. And that has been this week's Wildlife Matters Nature News. Welcome back and on this week's Wildlife Matters Investigates, we are going to be asking the question, are we, that's you and me, the British taxpayer, actually subsidising wildlife persecution on the grouse moors of the UK? Well, let's find out in this week's Wildlife Matters Investigates. The Common Agricultural Policy, or EU CAP as it's known, has long been a contentious issue with farmers, landowners and the public alike and not without good reason. When you take a look at a satellite map of the UK compared to our European neighbours, there is undoubtedly something very different about the UK. In Europe, the lowlands are used for agriculture and food production, whilst the uplands are wooded. In the UK, the lowlands, whilst used for agriculture, are relatively bare and the uplands are barren. Apart from areas of plantation forest, the UK has no trees in the uplands above around 200 metres. Many understand that hill farming is a very tough and difficult way of life for people. In fact, most hill farmers get by on very little income 
and are dependent upon cap subsidies to survive. The other use of UK uplands is as grouse moors, used by shooting parties to kill grouse for pleasure. Moorlands in the UK qualify for cap payments. In 2016, UK taxpayers paid four and a half million pounds to landowners. So even if you have never or have any interest in shooting game birds, you are certainly paying for it to continue through your taxes and that just cannot be right. The situation is further complicated by Brexit, which has seen an end to the cap payments and, as the then Environment Minister Michael Gove promised, to reform farm payments and force landlords to earn their money. The cap payments are currently based on an amount of land owned. It has nothing to do with the amount of work that is being done on that land. They are intended to support the production of food crops and bring environmental benefits to the land and wildlife. These include improving wildlife habitats, tree planting and flood prevention. Grouse moors benefit hugely from cap subsidies. But what benefit do they deliver? Well, they certainly don't plant any trees. The grouse moors are managed for grouse and grouse need heather. The UK is naturally wooded, but the moors were cleared for agriculture centuries ago and are now seen by some as part of our natural heritage. And they don't improve wildlife habitats either. Native wildlife is considered a predator to the red grouse. These ground nesting birds are vulnerable to predation from a wide range of native animals such as raptors or birds of prey, corvids, stoats, badgers and foxes. All are trapped and killed in large numbers by gamekeepers protecting the red grouse. The irony is that those grouse that they have gone to such lengths to protect are then to be shot by humans for pleasure. Grouse moors are considered to be one of the primary causes of lowland flooding, not in fact prevention. The heather on the moors is burned regularly. This is something that's been done for centuries, but our ancestors burned the heather every 15 to 20 years in a controlled pattern of rotation. But now heather is burned on a three to five year rotation. The frequency of the burning stops most plants beyond heather from recovering. Also, much of the uplands in Britain are peat bogs. Peat burns slowly and for a very long time, which is why people used it for fuel to heat their cottages in the past. But peat also burns underground, long after the fire above land has gone out. This causes the release of stored carbon into the atmosphere, actually increasing emissions. And when the rain falls on the uplands, it cannot be absorbed by the scorched soil. So it runs off the land, eroding the soil and carrying it downhill in a torrent of water. This is the basic cause of flash flooding in the lowlands, something the UK has seen a significant increase in in more recent years. It is clear then that grouse moors deliver none of the benefits required by the CAP scheme to qualify for payments. They are not upland farmers, let's just be clear. Grouse moors are a big business in every way. They cover around 550,000 hectares in Northern Britain alone. 
that is larger than the complete inner M25 area, with some other bits of Greater London included. This land is owned by around 30 private individuals and companies. Grouse shooting is expensive. It will cost around £1,000 per person per day, and most shoots operate with parties of 10 to 20 shooters. The grouse season runs from the 12th of August to the 10th of December every year. That's an income of well over 1 million a year per estate made in just two months. Friends of the Earth researched 30 shooting estates. The estates covered 300,000 hectares and received over £4 million in subsidy payments between them. The research also revealed the estates are owned by a mixture of lords, dukes, earls and barons, as well as bankers, businessmen and firms based in offshore tax havens. The largest subsidy was given to the Lilburn estate in Northumberland, owned by Duncan Davidson, the founder of house-building giant Persimmon Homes. Back in 2014, the estate received 1.6 million in subsidies, with another 1.3 million received in 2015. The Abbeystead Estate in Lancashire, owned by the Duke of Westminster's Grosvenor Estate, received 7,200 in farm subsidies in 2014 and 203,000 in 2015. The Grosvenor Estate describes Abbeystead as one of the premier sporting estates in the UK and it is reputed to hold the record for the most grouse shot in a single day. Get this, a total of 2,929 birds killed by just eight shooters. The Mossdale Estate in the Yorkshire Dales owned by the Van Kutzen family obtained £54,000 in subsidies in 2014 and 170,000 in 2015. In June 2016, the estate resigned from the Moorland Association after a gamekeeper was filmed setting illegal pole traps. All information has been taken from the Friends of the Earth research. The latest figures that Wildlife Matters can find from DEFRA on subsidies to UK grouse moors are dated from 2018. Here's what taxpayers paid to the top 10 grouse shooting estates that year. The 10 grouse moor estates that received the highest level of farm subsidies were as follows. At number 10, the Wemmergill Estate, LLP. Michael Cannon is the owner, former poultry farmer and pub chain owner. His estate received £291,571. Number nine was the Walshaw Moor Estate. Richard Bannister is the owner. He's a retail tycoon and his estate received £292,642. Number eight is the Bolton Abbey Estate owned by the Duke of Devonshire. The subsidies received were £330,261. Number seven was the Mossdale Estate owned by the Van Kutzen family. They received a total of £355,854 in their subsidies. Number six was East Allen Heads and Muggleswick Estate. 
Herman M&E estate. So Jeremy Herman is a hedge fund manager. His estate received £394,048. Now the top five. Weardale and Eggleston Estate. Weardale Estates is owned by Michael Stone, a former city banker. His subsidies were £423,415. Number four was the Broomhead Estate, owned by Ben Rimmington Wilson. His estate received £477,747. Number three is Woodhead Moors, and the ultimate beneficiary of their, this estate we cannot find, but they received over half a million. In fact, it was £502,895. The second biggest subsidy paid by UK taxpayers for a grouse moor was to the Rabbi estate, owned by Lord Barnard. His estate received a total of £737,514. And the top estate will not surprise a lot of you. It's the Lilburn estate, owned by Duncan Davison, the founder of Persimmon Homes. And his estate received, and get ready for this, a shocking £1,799,994 in taxpayers' subsidies for a shooting estate. The shooting industry claims some remarkable conservation benefits for the Upland Moors and is very quick to tell you that the industry supports jobs in the rural economy. But really, at what price? The conservation claims are very misleading. It is true that grouse and some waders benefit from the type of land management carried out by the shooting estates. It is also true, though, that raptors, such as hen harriers and golden eagles, and other protected species are being trapped, poisoned and shot to protect the grouse in addition to the legal killing of foxes, stoats, corvids and many other native species. Shooting estates have used the uplands as cash cows, taking millions in subsidies from taxpayers to support the killing of hundreds of thousands of grouse every single year. And all in the name of entertainment, because let's face it, the grouse have no chance, this is no sport. Land management is geared directly toward the welfare of the grouse and the detriment of native wildlife and people. Wildlife Matters believes that the majority of UK taxpayers would be horrified to know that their income tax is being given to wealthy landowners to support the killing of grouse for entertainment. And that's before they know about the snaring and poisoning of protective and native wild animals and the destruction of the upland peat bogs, carbon release from burning and the increased risk of flooding to those taxpayers' homes and businesses that are based in the lowlands of the UK. Subsidies are a vital part of this industry. Wildlife Matters calls on the British government to remove subsidies from shooting estates and upland horse trainers and to ensure that they are focused on restoring our natural wooded uplands, creating diverse habitats for the upland wildlife, stopping the carbon release from burning peat bogs and creating genuine flood prevention in the uplands to stop the increased flash flooding in the lowlands. 
And that has been this week's Wildlife Matters Investigates. now it's that time again on the wildlife matters podcast where we can sit back and just enjoy a few moments together in nature with this week's mindful moments and let's see who can guess which animal this is Wasn't that so lovely? Uh, Now, how many of you guessed that that animal eating its dinner and snuffling its way around the back garden was, in fact, the hedgehog, of course? And um, I hope you really enjoyed that. And now it's time on the Wildlife Matters podcast for this week's Wildlife Matters main feature. And welcome back. And on this week's Wildlife Matters main features, we're going to be lifting the lid on the wildlife traps that are being used on the grouse moors all over the UK and explaining to you, are these traps legal, illegal, or is it how you use them? But what we do know, whatever, is that they are cruel and they are unnecessary and they are immoral ways of trapping native wildlife that's just living in its home habitat and all to protect the grouse. Gamekeepers on grouse moors utilise a sinister array of lethal devices to snare native predators of the beloved farmed grouse that are destined to be shot for human pleasure and maybe as game meat. Landowners, hunters and poachers brazenly employ a myriad of traps and snares, some legal, others illegal to mercilessly massacre wildlife, both wild and domesticated, who wander into their deadly killing devices. These vicious contraptions 
cause a slow and agonizing death for any creatures unlucky enough to be ensnared within them. Wildlife Matters is exposing the tools used by gamekeepers, some legal, some illegal, but all in everyday use to trap, injure and kill our native British wildlife. First series of traps we're going to look at are snares. So snares are drawn steel wire nooses used to trap animals. They're classed as self-locking snares, which are illegal or free-running snares, which are legal. A locking snare or dual-purpose snare is illegal, often known as a fox snare. It is an illegal contraption filled with horror and fear. It is a self-locking device with a wire threaded through the vertical strut that cruelly ensnares its victims, despite the Wildlife and Countryside Act of 1981 outlawing such inhumane contraptions they remain readily available and continue to be used, leaving countless animals to suffer slow and agonizingly painful deaths. And many of you may have seen some homemade snares. So homemade snares are both devious and deadly, clamped down like a vice or running wild, leaving an unsuspecting and helpless creature caught in its grip. Homemade snares, usually set for rabbits, are they're often very crude and merciless, causing unimaginable pain and distress to the poor unfortunate victim. The glint of brass wire catches the sunlight in an eerie way as the nooses on the snares subtly sway in the air. The tealers are made of a strong nylon cord, designed to be strong and unbreakable. It's a silent killer in the dark countryside. Another form of snare is a pole snare, which is illegal in the UK. But despite its illegality, the consequences of this grisly trap are often difficult to prove. It's known in the trade as a kill pole. Its purpose is to ensnare a fox, usually, allowing it to strangle itself as it gets tangled in the metal prongs during a frantic struggle for freedom. There are other types of traps that are used very regularly. One of these is the spring trap, or often known as a gin trap. These are illegal in the UK. The gin trap is a sinister device designed to ensnare its victims. Its jaws are lined with sharp toothed serrations, ready to puncture and rip flesh. Even though their use has been outlawed in the UK since 1958, they remain a sinister danger, lurking and waiting with a cutting efficiency to trap any unsuspecting wild creatures or pets unlucky enough to pass through. The trap's deadly jaws are most commonly used by gamekeepers across small streams, placed on logs, meaning that the creature that wishes to cross the water is forced through the jaws of this malevolent contraption. A gin trap is a mechanical device designed to catch an animal by the leg using its spring-operated jaws. The spring trap is the fen trap. Now this one is still legal in the UK. The fen trap is a vicious contraption used by gamekeepers to capture birds of prey. It is placed menacingly on top of a fence post or a tree stump. It comes in two sizes, the Mark IV or the Mark VI, they are frequently seen in use on grouse moors. 
They are fatal to any unsuspecting birds of prey that wander too close to the trap as it waits to snap shut, crushing its prey in a single motion. Fen traps are the most common spring trap used by gamekeepers. Sometimes they're known as the Solway spring trap. And although legal, it is an offence to set any spring trap out in the open. So if you do see one, then uh, do report it back to your local hunt saboteurs and uh, they will obviously go and check that out. Another form of trap that is a more recent introduction into the UK is known as the Cania Trap 2000. The Cania Trap is a highly controversial device though, created in Canada with one purpose in mind, and that purpose is death. It has been given the green light by DEFRA to be used in the UK to kill grey squirrels. A growing number of conservationists are voicing their concerns about the trap, as it has been known to cause horrific deaths to other species such as woodpeckers, who often mistake it as a safe hiding place when attached to a tree, and hedgehogs have also been trapped when placed at the foot of trees. A scissor-style trap. The scissor-style mole trap stands ominously above the ground, ready to strike its razor-sharp metal spikes. As the unsuspecting mole passes beneath, the trap is triggered and the spikes lunge down with speed like lightning, ruthlessly piercing the mole's body and guaranteeing an agonising end. The hopper trap is illegal, so the hopper or poison hopper as it's known isn't a trap but it can easily be confused with one. It can contain poisoned bait and they come in a range of different sizes and designs, most often used to trap corvids and other birds by placing the body of other dead wildlife that the gamekeepers have previously killed in the trap. Cage traps are legal. The cruel cage traps are classed as humane, yet they generate fear, pain and extreme distress for any animal for sometimes many days. The wire mesh constructions come in various sizes for different species and are often hidden from view. When the animal steps onto the footplate or hook connected to the trigger, the trap shuts them in. When the gamekeeper who set the trap checks the trap, the vulnerable creature, usually a badger or a fox, is then shot at point-blank range. Far too many times, Wildlife Matters has found these traps soaked with blood and even with skin and organ tissue still on the wire mesh. Where the gamekeeper setting the trap cannot be bothered to clean it before reuse. This is not only disgusting and morally just totally bankrupt, but there's a huge cross-contamination issue and a big disease risk as well. There are many bird traps used in the UK. One of these is the Larson trap. This nefarious trap lures vulnerable birds like magpies, crows and rooks into a li living death trap from which they can never escape. The noose tightens as other unsuspecting birds of prey and countless other species of birds get caught in its deadly grasp, only to be cruelly shot without mercy. Larson traps though, legal, to use in many places must be inspected regularly or they will become an illegal prison for the captured birds. In Denmark, where these killing devices were first created, the Larsen trap is now banned. 
But since 1988, Larson tracks have been used in the United Kingdom with the full agreement of the Game and Wildlife Countryside Trust, an alleged conservation charity that began using them first. The Ladder Trap The Ladder Trap is larger in size than the Larson Trap. Ladder traps loom like menacing sentinels, technically legal in the UK when attended. These lethal contraptions can still be found left wide open and unsupervised turning them into instruments of illegal hunting. Unchecked, they bring swift and merciless death to their unsuspecting prey. The cruelty of animal traps used in the UK is simply unfathomable. These sadistic devices are designed to slowly and painfully kill innocent creatures. And even worse, some traps have such an immense force that they can instantly snap necks, limbs, and leave smaller animals to suffer with their broken bodies in agonising discomfort. Wildlife Matters is determined to see a ban on all animal traps in the UK. Such a senseless act of brutality should not be tolerated and those who use these killer devices must be held accountable for their heinous actions. The needless suffering of wild animals must end now. Welcome back, and that was this week's Wildlife Matters main feature. Now, coming up on the next Wildlife Matters podcast, we are returning to one of your favourite subjects. Yeah, we're going to be talking all about badgers. Our favourite stripy, iconic mammal are the feature of the next podcast. And in Wildlife Matters Investigates, we're going to be looking into the lion bone trade. Yeah, that's a real thing. And asking, is it a roaring success? A lot of irony in that. As I say, that is coming up on next week's A Wildlife Matters podcast. But in the meantime, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And boy, does this time just go faster and faster every week. But it's time now for me, Nigel Palmer, your host, to say Wildlife Matters signing off. See you next time.